Valerie, but he does have one of these things that the Jays keep doing it. Outlier fastball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, headline, Drake leaves Toronto. And we'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Just get smacked down on live television by Ken Rosenthal. And welcome to episode number 126 of Artificial Turf Wars. New year, new tagline. I'm your host, Greg Wisdowski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh? How's it going? Happy New Year. Uh, it's going Happy wonderful. You too. And uh, we brought along Nick Dyka. Nick, how are you, sir? I'm good. Happy New Year, Greg. Did you, uh, thank you. Did you keep busy on New Year's 2018? Were you working? No, actually. Uh, this is the first year in several that I wasn't. You um, were operating and- a bass guitar? uh no i wasn't doing that either but uh to be honest given kind of all the hype around new year's uh, i I don't mind working i'll just work all right well next year call nick he's available please do (laughs) all right blue jays have actually done things since our last podcast which is always the way we like it around here they signed matt shoemaker they traded for clayton richard 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 uh (laughs) Troy Tulowitzki left the Blue Jays a while ago, but now he's a Yankee, so we have to talk about that. Just rub salt in that wound. Uh, Ross Atkins did uh, talk to the media a little bit, including about the Blue Jays' rather sad excuse for an infield defense last year. Uh, We have your questions. Thank you for uh, paying attention to that tweet. We have a do-over from Harold Reynolds, who probably is like the Greg Zahn of of national American do-overs. And uh, we have a little bit of Hall of Fame talk to end things off and whatever else we get detour to in the meantime. But we shall begin with the arguably the the bigger acquisition um, because of the higher ceiling, as I understand it. Matt Shoemaker. Josh, tell me, who is he? Why is he here? Well, he's here because he had injury problems, which, you know, it sounds like a pitcher the Toronto Blue Jays should be going after. It's a little surprising, but, you know, he, he's had some success in the past with the Angels. You know, he had a very good 2014, solid in 15 and then 16. And then he's had injury problems the last couple of years with his forearm. He had, but he had surgery to fix it. The Angels non-tendered him and the Jays got him for three and a half million bucks, which is, you know, it's a good bet on someone who's had success in the major leagues. So what what kind of success slash ERA did he have in his last year out there? Like, are we talking a, you know, four, four and a half ERA guy, or, or are we doing better well, than that? His last full season, he was 388. Not bad. Which, not bad. I mean, 143 strikeouts, 160 innings. You know, he doesn't walk very many people, and he doesn't give up many home runs. So, you know, those are pretty good things to have, and he, he gets... He's got a very good splitter, according to Ross Atkins, which is part of the reason that they went after him. And, you know, like he's a guy that if he's healthy, it's a good bet. And if it's not, if he's not, then they didn't spend a lot of money. Right, um, Nick, because they spent how much on Jaime Garcia last year? $10 million? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a low-risk move. Um, you know, my question, and this kind of applies to him and Richard, would be, do you guys want to see them 
trot out Shoemaker and Richard over some of the young guys? Like, is it is it better to see those guys pitch than Sean Reed Foley and Thomas Pannone? I, I just wonder, you know, developmentally, if getting those guys into the majors now is more helpful than having guys like uh, Shoemaker around. Well, this might have been a better question to ask after we got to the Richard acquisition, but uh, <laughs> in general, I would say it's good not to be forced to play the young guys. I mean, I don't think they really want Pannone or even necessarily Reed Foley in the big leagues right now. I think they want to be able to have them get a little more seasoning in the minors. I think that Baruch is the only guy who's really got a lock on a rotation spot. Uh, all so, right. One second. Just going back to Shoemaker for a bit, though, just specifically. It was sort of interesting. So he came back from surgery at the very end of the season. He threw about, I think he had six six starts at the end of the year. where He wasn't that great. Um, and his pitch mix was very different from what it had been prior to his injury. He threw change-ups for the first time in his career, which I, it could have been misclassified splitters, but I don't think they were because their, their movement was different. And he threw more sinkers than he's ever thrown. So I'm very curious if that was as a result of the injury and recovery or if he was you know, trying to become something different. I think that that is interesting because it makes you wonder what were the Blue Jays looking at the old body of work or were they actually focused on maybe he's a bit of a different pitcher or has a different philosophy um, with the post-injury mix. And then I guess the other question is, is that one of the reasons why the Angels non-tendered him is because maybe they didn't think that he could do whatever he was trying to do? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a very good question, and I don't think we'll ever truly get the answer to that. If they were looking at the end of the season, that would sort of explain why Atkins specifically mentioned the splitter, because it was breaking two extra inches beyond what it had ever done before. So that sort of lends credence to the thought that they were looking at the most recent stuff, but I, I think they'd be remiss not to look at all of it. Indeed. All right, can I talk about Clayton Richard yet? Go for it. I have no no <laughs> meaningful uh, understanding of other than, and this is going to tie into the Atkins and the defense thing later, about he is primarily a ground ball pitcher, which seems counterintuitive to bring into the dome, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Toronto's infield defense was not great last year. Uh, I think some of the biggest culprits have, have since moved on in Indian Garvis Solarte. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, Richard has pitched a lot over the last couple of years. He threw 158 innings last year. He threw almost 200 innings in 2017. And uh, his results have kind of been middling. Uh, you know, last year his ERA was over five, although his FIP and his XFIP were, were closer to four, four and a half. And uh, yeah, his first career, his ERA is 4.46. So I think, yeah, what you're getting is a guy who's not going to strike many guys out. He will keep the ball on the ground, so he'll get along with Marcus Stroman in that sense. Um, but he's definitely kind of a back-of-the-rotation pitcher, and he's one that I don't even think has the upside of, uh, of a guy like Shoemaker. So much has been made, though, of the Blue Jays already admitting they may, might try the opener strategy methodology and that uh, Richard would would be great not as an opener, but as the guy who follows the opener if you can get someone to tilt their lineup heavily, um, you know, to the opposite platoon advantage. Is, is this right. a serious strategy or is this just what people are making up at the moment because they don't understand why Clayton Richard was something that the Jays pursued? Well, I, I think it's sort of the latter because the Jays don't have the relievers to do that yet. 
I mean, you look at what Tampa did, and they were the only team really doing this last year. The A's sort of did it, and they actually used Hendricks in the wildcard game. But you need guys that come out and pump gas, <laughs> right? You need power strikeout arms to, to make this work. So that like, you have your ace relievers that aren't your back-of-the-game relievers facing the top hitters in a team's lineup. So, you know, with the Rays, they weren't using their multi the couple closers that they used during the season, except for Sergio Romo when it was all righties because, you know, Romo just is deadly on right-handed hitters. I think with Richard, honestly, he's a guy that's just sort of a depth, warm body kind of arm. They're paying half of his salary, but he does have one of these things that the Jays keep doing it. Outlier fastball. <laughs> Again, you know, he, last year he was his sinker had the third most sink of any pitcher in baseball who threw over 200 of them and the most of anybody who threw over 300 of them. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of weird that they keep doing this. I mean, it, I, it seems like they're doing it intentionally, but you know, it didn't work last year. <laughs> that's, that's why I laughed. It's like, well, sure. You could be cute and innovative and everything else, but it has to, the only rule is it has to work. Did you, did you read that book? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can come up with a lot of ideas, but they have to actually work in practice. But I don't know. And, uh, yeah, I, I I don't love the idea of a junk balling lefty in the American <laughs> League East. Uh, but I don't, he might not even be in the rotation, right? The Jays don't have any left-handed pitchers, so we'll see what they do with him. Indeed. Um, okay, so now to the uncomfortable topic of Troy Tulowitzki. New York Yankee. So Didi Gregorius got hurt, um, is recovering from, I believe it's Tommy John surgery, which is always mm -hmm. weird for an infielder. Um, so Nick, how do you feel about Tulo wearing number two, or is that retired yet? I can't remember. In pinstripe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I do think it is retired. Um, but with Tulo going to New York, <laughs> yeah, double twos. Uh, yeah, with Tulo going to New York, I. I hope he does well uh, when he's not playing the Blue Jays. But yeah, it's, it is kind of a strange landing spot for him, given that New York does have Gregorius coming back. They've got Glaber Torres. Uh, I guess this means the end of the Neil Walker era in New York. And uh, they're even rumored to be in on Manny Machado, too. So it wasn't the landing spot that I had thought Tulo would be, be going to. But I, I think I can personally, uh, as a fan of of both Tulo and the Jays. I, I think I'm, I'm not one of those fans who's so upset that I can't, I can't root for him anymore or anything like that. I know Josh is not that fan though. <laughs> Hell no. Yeah. No, no. Look, I, I, I'm, I was sort of semi tongue in cheek when I tweeted, what I assume you were re referring to right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, like it's like hap, same thing. It's like, I don't, I can't cheer for the Yankees. Right. So I don't like when the players that I like cheering for go to the Yankees because it means I can't cheer for them to do well, but I can still cheer for them to do okay. As long as the team sucks, which obviously will not happen because the Yankees are really, really <laughs> yeah. good. Um, Neil Walker's gone, by the way, he was a free agent. Um, I, it makes sense to me though, like why he would go there because as you mentioned that, you know, DD's got, the surgery, which oddly enough, Glaber Torres also had the year before. What's with the Yankees infielders needing Tommy John? And, you know, like Manny Machado's not really a shortstop. I mean, I, I think they want him to play third base and they can move Andahar off of third base where he's horrible. So it's Yankees talk with no. Um, 
<laughs> I think I, for once, I do not envy the general manager of the Blue Jays, who is put in a position where um, obviously they did not either think that that Tulo could or did not want Tulo as um, an everyday uh, shortstop. So the alternative was okay, move Troy Tulowitzki with his massive contract and pay a bunch of the freight on that contract or release him and give him a chance to land somewhere. And I wonder if when they did, you know, just sort of maybe float that around a little bit, that the only people who, who expressed any major interest were the Yankees. And then you're in the position of, well, I can trade him for maybe something for the Yankees, but then, then it looks like I just traded Troy Tulowitzki to a division rival and paid all the freight for it. At least uh, I just, I, I feel like there was not a good other alternative for, um, for Shapiro to take. Well, Shapiro's not the GM. Sorry, but, um, yeah. Uh, given the reaction around baseball when he was released, I don't know that I really agree with that concept because, like, all these teams were looking at him. I mean, the, the Cubs were talking about it, the Giants, the Braves. Uh, there were a whole bunch of teams that went to see him in his workout. So I don't think it was a situation where only one team was where was interested. But, he, you know, two whiskey to the Yankees has been talked about since he was in Colorado. Like he he liked the Yankees. He liked Jeter. I know he's way better than Jeter, but he liked Jeter. <laughs> and you know, like it, it just it's a chance for him to go to a city and play for a team he always liked, and he's going to play because they don't have a shortstop right now. If you know, <laughs> if so, he's able, he's going to play. Well, yeah, that, and so that well, we still get back might to, not have a shortstop right now. <laughs> yeah, when you get back to though, do you think then the Blue Jays should have tried to work out a deal with one of those other teams, or do you think that? just getting them off their hands was their priority for some reason. I think that it would be too much work to work out a deal like that. And it was just sort of a situation where like, you're not in our plans. We're going to let you go and do whatever. We're not going to compete next year anyway. So we don't really care where you land. Well, to me, the only reason it makes sense to let Tulo go, if you're the blue Jays is because you want to give opportunities to these younger players. And if Tulo is is healthy and by all accounts he's looked really good in, in those workouts he was doing for teams in November or December, then I don't totally understand letting him go. If you know you're going to be signing new players, like I know Eric Sogar just on a, a minor league deal with an invite to spring training, but you know to go into Greg the next point you mentioned, Ross Atkins was talking about infield defense and looking to improve. And, you know, stop jumping that, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, more, more Tulo talk. I, I can only think about this loaded Yankees infield for so long before I get frustrated <laughs> and distracted. <laughs> <clears throat> no, but I mean, it's like, I think that it just comes down to a situation where these teams are interested in Troy Tulowitzki when they have to pay him the league minimum and that's it. Right. Because they don't know. I mean, like you can see him in a workout, but you don't know what he is. He was terrible before he got hurt. But they'll they'll take the chance on him for the minimum without giving up anything in return. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you want that face saving <laughs> player to be named later for the all the like you said, for all the trouble that you go through to get him. Um, exactly. Yeah. Mm hmm. That's that's all they have really is. uh don't know where I was going with that. We're going to switch it up to Ross Atkins. <laughs> he doesn't like the infield defense either. Well, isn't that nice to know? 
<laughs> Josh, do you? He's talking about now. If I'm not mistaken, getting the the current assets to play defense better. Does that even is how doable is that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you said about the outfield, I would say I'd be more inclined to believe it because they have the skills. The infielders, I mean, it's going to be Guerrero, Guriel, Drury, and Smoke. Well, Smoke's good, but I mean that's not a, a lot of pedigree there. And he talked about how he thinks Charlie Montoyo has experience with helping young infielders, and that's great. He he referred to when Terry Franklin took over in Cleveland and got their defense a little bit better. They had more talented players in Cleveland. I mean, you know, Francisco Lindor is pretty damn good at shortstop. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I I don't think that there's a very strong likelihood that this specific group of four people, or five if you include Devin Travis, is going to be any good defensively. I think that potentially Bo Bichette could be better, I, but it's you know it's not strong. Do you see any hope for the infield defense, Nick? Are you more optimistic? Um, I mean, yeah, I think I do agree with with Josh for the most part. Uh, you know, I'm a little more optimistic about Guriel, just given the fact that he seems athletic enough to move around the diamond a lot. And maybe if he's able to stay at one spot and get a lot of reps there, it might uh, help him take a step forward. Because a lot of these guys are very young, you know, Travis and Drury, notwithstanding that they can still take steps forward. Um, you know, so maybe a little bit hopeful, but you know, for the most part, I, I do kind of tend to think with along with Josh, that doesn't seem like there's any gold glovers uh, in the bunch or anything like that. Just waiting to be unlocked. All right. Now this is not on the list, but in all of these machinations, bringing a couple of new players on Oliver Drake was DFA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for the how manyth time, Josh? Do you do you happen to know off the top of your head? Sorry, I can't count that high. <laughs> like, I was using my fingers and I ran out. Uh, uh, he's not allowed to actually make rosters. He just <laughs> go get DFA and sit for ten days. Go somewhere else, get DFA, sit for ten days. Oh man, I feel bad for anybody uh, who has that much uncertainty in their life regardless of whatever their occupation is it's really weird i mean he was actually really good for the twins at the end of the season he struck out 22 guys in 20 in 20 innings and he only gave out five earned runs but i mean like what are you expecting at this point yeah yeah you're just you're like the 41st guy on everybody's roster so uh, basically he's gonna wait for somebody to get hurt in spring training isn't he and hope it's not him somewhere yeah i mean i guess i mean he's 32 years old so it's not like he's some young guy trying to crack the bigs but i don't know people keep claiming him so at least that shows that there's some <laughs> desire to take him all right so uh headline drake leaves toronto and we'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> We're going to come back with your questions in a couple of minutes. Uh, stick around for... And we're back. Just like the same magical way I always bring us back. Hope you all enjoyed our little trip. We have, of course, your questions as promised. 
Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And now that I'm done doing the little dance I do every time I let the question stinger play, we can let Josh ask the first question. All right. This first one comes in from Alex Hume at a Hume 92. At how much do I have to give to the Patreon to get George a car? Who the heck is George? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we don't push the Patreon real hard, but last time I looked, I don't recall cars at all on the Patreon, although maybe we should put it on there. You never know. And George. <laughs> and we should also have George. We should have George on once. <laughs> I'm so confused. Is he re responding to the wrong Patreon? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Question George number Kataris? two. Maybe. Question number two from Danny exclamation point question mark at Madasum. How many home runs will Tulo hit against the Jays? I will give that one to you first, Nick. Well, any is too many, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with two for the number that he's not allowed to wear while he's in New York. <laughs> so here's the question. Who's gonna give up the first one? Oh, that's a good question, yeah. Mm. I I think Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just got that feeling. Uh here's another question. How many did Vernon Wells hat, uh, hit against the Blue Jays during his dead cat bounce uh, as a Yankee? At least one in his first at bat. Yep. I, th I think it was two or three in that, that first weekend that he was still a Yankee and somehow good only against the Jays. <laughs> yeah, tough weekend. <sighs> yeah. I love Vernon Wells, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But he was, like, yeah. he was done by the time he was a Yankee, despite the fact that everyone still wanted to pay him money. Yeah, well, I mean, the Yankees weren't really paying him very much money, were they? They did eat some of that Angels portion of the contract. I mean, they weren't paying him a ton, but they they weren't paying him league minimum. Um, <laughs> so I would say three, by the way, for Tulo, just to do the prices right thing and go one over Nick's <laughs> estimate. <laughs> what do you have, Josh? Just, by the way, I'm just very happy that both of you are finally on the George Lewiski's going to play train. Of course he's going to play. He's not playing for us. He can't help the Blue Jays. He's going to play. <laughs> I'm going to go with one. One. You heard it here first, folks. One, two, and three. <laughs> so six. Oh, dear. <laughs> you want to get the next question, Nick? Uh, yeah, for sure. This is uh, from Kawhi Anobi at Captain Maverick 85. And his question is, can the Jays be bad enough to finish dead last? No. <laughs> yeah. They no. really can't. The Orioles are terrible. Yeah. For all the lack of upgrades the Blue Jays have done and the no activity, the Orioles have done less. They're, they're borderline relegation territory. And I know baseball doesn't have relegation. But they're the argument for it, right? <laughs> yeah, they're bringing it in. <laughs> uh, Who wins more games, the the 2017 Buffalo Bisons or the the 2019 Orioles? That's. I think it's gonna be the Bisons. Well, it depends how long the minor league guys are there because <laughs> the 2017 yeah. Buffalo Bisons is that an already known? Oh, oh sorry, I meant, I'm <laughs> 2018. New year, forgot. Yeah, uh, the one the team with like Vlad and and Sean yeah. Reed and Danny Jansen, that team. 
What, I if mean, you bring them to the majors? <laughs> the Orioles won 55, 47 games last year. 47. Yeah, that's the historic. The Raptors are going to win 10 more games than the Orioles won in twice as many games. Additionally, it, it was literally the worst Orioles team of all time, and the Orioles have had some pretty bad teams. And they're, gonna, they're not going to have Adam Jones. Manny Machado was on that Orioles team for the first two months. <laughs> Yeesh. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Scope wasn't a corpse yet when he was there. I mean, all of their decent players are gone. They have ace pitcher Chris Davis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Orioles are really bad. The Jays are, like, everybody would have to get hurt. And I mean literally everybody to the point where Jays are forfeiting games for them to be worse than the Orioles. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to the throwback machine, and we're going to pick a question here from Gideon Turk, who you might remember from uh, many websites that we, we uh, were on together. Hey, Gideon, how's it going? At Gideon2RK. If a pitcher like Shoemaker loses spin because of thoracic outlet problems, is there a way to get it back like specific exercises that help pitchers regain velocity, foreign substances don't count as an answer. And if people think I'm going to throw this question to Nick, they are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the weird thing. He did not have thoracic outlet syndrome. Now, I get the, the reasoning for the question, because he did have a compressed nerve, which is what typically is associated with thoracic outlet syndrome, but his is in his forearm, whereas thoracic outlet is in like the neck and upper chest so the shoulder area so it's totally different actually but it, it as it relates to the specific question the answer would tend to be yes i mean based on what trevor bauer has been doing what the research he's been doing and his stuff with driveline to increase spin rate on his pitches i mean i don't think it matters about the injury specifically but you can train yourself to increase your spin rate but as for the actual specific medical aspect, unfortunately, that's just even beyond, like, not even. It's way beyond me. I mean, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> if it's beyond you, think of how far it is beyond Nick and I. Yeah, I mean, that, that would require, you know, we'd have to get Nikki Huffman on here or something to talk about that because that's very, very specific. So if you're listening, Nikki, we'd be happy to have you on. Well, this is interesting. Chris Kreider from the New York Rangers has had uh, thoracic outlet surgery. And so has Adam McQuaid, who is a defenseman. So there you go. We're so I, exciting I that you traveled players. over to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> first, I thought that he was confused because Matt Harvey had this, and he was also a free agent who signed with actually with the Angels. So they sort of went the other way. I feel like Matt Harvey would have been so yeah. much fun in Toronto. I really wanted the Jays to sign Matt Harvey, but he got like 14 million bucks. So I'm really not surprised they didn't. Indeed. All right. Final question of the week. Uh, uh, bleh. Josh, hit me with it. <laughs> this is from Mara Scott at Mara B. Scott. Was anyone surprised by the Trulo trade? Well, it wasn't a trade, but either way, dude's earning a sweet salary, not playing for the Jays. I, I was surprised that he signed with New York. I guess so quickly, maybe, is what I was surprised by, that they didn't hum and haw over it a little bit longer. Because certainly teams are humming and hawing over everything. I think only the fact that he is a $600,000 man made them bite now. But again, I, I don't know. It was, it's weird to me to think of him in pinstripes, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were surprised he was released, but 
you know, like once he was, it's just he was going to sign somewhere. That was a foregone conclusion. And so the Yankees are as much of a surprise to me as anybody else would have been. I'm curious to know what happens if he is able to kind of stay healthy and productive, because when Gregorius comes back, it looks like the Yankees at the very least are going to have, you know, three capable players for, for two positions. Uh, so I'm curious to see what happens. And if well, there's that, anything, sorry, go ahead. I, I think the answer to that, if, if Tula whiskey is actually like good for Detroit, Tula whiskey, not like 2017 crappy version, then I think, they probably betrayed one of them. I mean, Tulwiski has another year on his contract, so that's incredibly valuable. Right. I mean, I think most likely he's going to, if he comes back, he's going to look something like 2016 Troy Tulwiski. And that's that's a good player. Is it worth playing over Glaber Torres and Didi Gregorius, though? That That's kind no. of the, the middle ground, right? But I think if that's the case, then, you know, Tulo just has to understand. Like, he wouldn't have signed there, I don't think, if he didn't. Everyone knows Gregorius is coming back midway through the season. And everyone knows that Gregorius is better than Troy Tulowitzki right now. So I think he understands that he's playing just to prove that he can still play. There might even be some understanding that if that case comes up, then he'll be dealt in the offseason. Right. Yeah. I'm curious to know because, you know, the one thing that I kind of realized when Tulo got released is there's not a lot of teams who are looking for shortstops. There's there's so many kind of like uber shortstops in the game right now that there's just like not a lot of openings. Toronto. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. All that salt I got out of the wound earlier when we finished talking about Tulo. (laughs) Now it's all back in there. Oh my goodness. Um yeah, all right. Well, I think I think that's enough too low for me for for one one time. Um we have of course a do over which I think is is just it's something else. Oops. <laughs> Say the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was So we have a little bit of uh a video here between uh, it is Harold Reynolds talking to uh, the panel with Ken Rosenthal on the other end. Standing in that regard and batting average, all of that. So you got to throw home runs in there. I mean, come on. Well, it's factored into slugging it. Over. No, it's not. It's not factored into slugging it. So that was Harold Reynolds not knowing that slugging percentage included home runs. And then, uh, as a follow-up, <laughs> Harold wanted to come back, and he wanted to clarify something. Yeah, and real quick, back to your slugging thing. Is not a double and a home run credit the same slugging percentage? Yeah. Is not a amazing. double and a home run the same? The, yeah, are they? No, they're not. Just <laughs> <laughs> get smacked down on live television by Ken Rosenthal. How has this guy been covering baseball for this long and not know that? <laughs> you know what give give him credit though because you look at the discourse in not just baseball but a lot of things in kind of the media today at least harold reynolds had the the good sense to to ask a question like most people in his position would just double down and be like that's not true of course it doesn't include uh home runs or something so but he did you know, in the original thing that's why he brought it back up because he was trying yeah. to make rosenthal look bad <laughs> and rosenthal just no 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 <laughs> no credit here i think he was trying to like make himself look better he did not know that he was wrong 
Oh man. Oh man. That it does say get him off the air in the tweet, and I, I cannot agree with that sentiment more. <laughs> I I don't understand. Uh, but like look, he's terrible. I mean, Reynolds <laughs> has been really, really bad for a really, really long time. I and mean, this isn't really a surprise that he's saying something stupid, but this is really, really stupid. I mean Well, it's it's, it's fundamental to the right? statistic. It is it is the whole idea of having slugging percentage, as clumsy a stat as it is, is to account for a player's ability to get extra base hits. Yeah. I mean, look, if he said he doesn't understand the components of war or, you know, FIP or Sierra or any of these other things, fine. I don't care if you know those things. But this is slugging percentage. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, where where a, a double is worth twice as much as a single, and a home run is worth four times as much as a single, which isn't really true in the run scoring environment. But I think it's I mean it's pretty linear when you think about how far you go on each of those hits and how much credit you should get for them. <laughs> it's it's literally fundamentally how many bases did you go over how many chances did you have to go around the bases. How much simpler could you get? But, like, he has to have talked about slugging percentage before, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been on the air for a long time. Did, did he not think that extra base hits were the, were different in it the entire time? Obviously. No. <laughs> it's really funny <laughs> and really embarrassing. Well, I mean, it tells you, again, it seems to tell you, though, that some guys, at least, who are who are dismissing all of these ideas about, uh, oh, these statistics can't possibly be any good, is because they don't think someone actually worked on it. They think people just, like, barfed up some uh, some words and, and put an acronym together and called it a better stat. They don't realize that people have actually studied what happens in a baseball game in terms of when runs are scored and how they're scored and how uh, different things contribute to that. And then they, they've revamped and refined those things as they've, they've watched more carefully. These guys literally think that research consists of sitting down with a pen and a paper in the morning and writing a new acronym that sounds funky. Yeah. I mean, I I'm loathe to use Harold Reynolds <laughs> as the example of anything, but I do agree with you. There's there's obviously a group of, of people who are anti-stat because they think the stats are an attempt, you know, are, are not a, a sincere attempt to look at the game better. Um, they think they're just, you know, to distract from the game, right? And I I don't know. It, it does reveal the ignorance, which is shocking. But also, Harold, it wouldn't be that hard to learn about slugging percentage and still remain a baseball purist, I don't think. So what's the do over here? <laughs> oh, my God. B <laughs> read a stats glossary Harold that's what you have to do you have to come on the show and read five stat definitions uh, OBP slugging um, let's go with uh, oh god uh, I don't want to read OBP he'll start asking about errors and why they're not included and just... <laughs> he would um, ERA yeah well that's errors too um, you know what he's going to have to read FIP uh, and uh <laughs> And one more first-generation newfangled stat. What what other one do we want? How about DR, DRS? DRS. All right, a defensive stat. There you go. So just come on. 
Read those definitions. You don't even have to absorb them, Harold. <laughs> Just read them aloud. <laughs> yeah. And then we uh, will never speak <laughs> of this again. Wow. What? <clears throat> yeah, that was that was quite the foot in mouth disease. And uh, shout out to Ken Rosenthal for not even entertaining the idea that he deserved anything <laughs> other than a flat no. <laughs> it's sad that you only had the audio for that, because if you have a chance, go find the video, because it's so... Rosenthal is on split screen. He's filming somewhere else, and he's just like, "No!" Like shaking his head. Like, come on. <laughs> I get the idea uh, that, that if Rosenthal could have reached Reynolds, he may have done something physically to him. <laughs> no, <laughs> like a little, little tap, little slap. All right. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, and I, I technically not my final thought, but was the Hall of Fame balloting continues. A uh, couple of interesting things. Larry Walker has picked up a ton of votes and is now in the 60s percentage on his second last year, uh, which is fantastic for him because most of the time, if you achieve a 65% or better in your at any point, um, you can get to 75% in the next year. Which is that threshold for, for Larry, who was at like 30% last year, um, becoming a Hall of Famer. So that's number one. I think we're happy about that. Aren't we happy about that? Yeah. Now, Walker is one of those guys that goes down a bit from the public to the private ones. Yeah, absolutely. But and he's not going to get 66% necessarily this year, but he's lining up pretty well. Um, he, he has the most votes gained of any player on the ballot this year. He's got a shot, which is all that matters to mm -hmm. get there next year. I mean, that's it didn't look like he had one, so now he does. So... That is definitely, I think we're all in agreement that that's good. Absolutely. Nick? <laughs> we yeah. lost Nick. <laughs> no, I, 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 do, I do agree. Um, I'm curious to see what happens next year. Um, yeah, I think if, if there's more people who kind of feel like Richard Griffin does, then maybe Walker has a better chance than, than we thought he did originally. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. Which is point number two. Richard Griffin came out with his <laughs> Hall of Fame ballot. Um, Jumping ahead again, Nick. Yeah, yeah he, he just reads my crib <laughs> notes too quickly. Um, <laughs> Griffin uh, dropped Omar Vizquel and then turned around and added a couple of players who you might have considered marginal in, in some context. Uh, Fred McGriff and uh, Scott Rowland. Yep. Um, and his reasoning for that was after having seen the Veterans Committee usher Hall of Famer Harold Baines in with much fanfare and obviously no real explanation because they're not beholden to that. Um, Griffin basically said, hey, you know, we are um, we are not uh, really we're not going to be bound by these, this strict or I'm not going to be bound by this strict requirement because I know that if the Veterans Committee likes a guy, it doesn't really matter what the writers have weighed in on. So uh, obviously they want a haul that's, that's bigger and, and, and looser with its requirements. I'm, I'm going to go in that direction. Yeah, and so that's why he got McGriff got his vote for the first time. So, I mean, Roland, I think uh, it, he's a guy that the more statistically inclined voters, all were, they all vote for him because he's one of the better third basemen of all time. But McGriff is a guy that you know, it's very interesting to see him put those two together. Mm hmm. Well, and to drop Vizquel as well, because Vizquel was essentially a defense only player. 
yeah, he picked he picked the better defense player because he's the guy who picked and hit Scott Rowland. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of both. Um, I I don't know that a lot of people will follow Griffin's reasoning, but it wouldn't actually take that many to move the needle on some of some of the the borderline players coming up. I think in the next few years to think that the veterans committee uh, committee has just lowered, uh, if you will, the admission rate. Um, to oh, the whatever they're called now. Yeah, well, they're effectively they're the whatever the daily the the committee of the week, um, because they have a different name every year, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, if they're going to just say, hey, this guy seems good to us, and not go through all of the heavy thinking that a lot of the writers clearly do, then why not just open it up and and go with what you feel is is uh. <laughs> you know, is generous or fair or, or, or whatever else. Just people you'd want to see in the hall and not go so tight on, well, you got to keep this guy out because of this or that. Yeah, it's, it's a trend, like you said, I think we could see more of. I mean, they, these this committee has put in players that are questionable before, but nobody on the level of Harold Baines. So I think this really changed the thinking of some people. And uh, lastly, Roy Halliday is the other thing I would want to touch on. Um, I think, I think as soon as, unfortunately, as soon as he passed away, the odds of him getting on the first ballot went way, way up. Um, just because I think that's how people sort of, uh, they would honor someone like Roy, um, and wouldn't want to leave him on the outside looking in, uh, posthumously. However, I think he was also a deserving Hall of Famer right off of the bat. And it looks like as a result of that, he's turning around 90%, I think right now, um, even if he loses some with the, the un- unannounced ballots uh, afterwards, he looks like a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, so I, big respect to the, the baseball writers for looking at him that way. Now, I don't want to talk too much Hall of Fame because you know we, we usually do like a Hall of Fame Patreon episode, but just a quick thing, a very interesting thought experiment that sort of came up, like Gary Sheffield, right? Mm-hmm. Now he's getting some steroid knockdown, but part of what hurts him is how bad he was as a fielder. But Edgar Martinez is getting all this bump, and he's going to get in probably this year, it looks like, and because he was such a good hitter. But Gary Sheffield was just a good hitter as Edgar Martinez. But by playing DH, Edgar didn't get to be bad in the field. <laughs> didn't get to <laughs> literally take away from what he was doing? Yeah, so it's interesting that by actually playing a position, Sheffield hurt himself, whereas if he'd just been a DH the whole time, he might have had a chance. Yeah, and if he hadn't taken steroids. Ah, there we are. Um, yeah. yeah. Sheffield's case anyway, is complicated. It's just, <laughs> just interesting, but... Uh, Indeed. We can move on. Um, well, the place that we can move on to is the final thought. So, Nick, are you still with us? I, I understand I'm you might still have here. some small problems with the audio, because, gosh... Um, this podcast brought to you by Skype, where you <laughs> you may or may not have the experience you were expecting. Um, <laughs> but if you want to give me a final thought there, Nick, please let her rip. Yeah. Um, for me, I'd say my final thought is I know a lot of people wait till, uh, after the Super Bowl to, to get excited about, about baseball, but I personally just wait till after Christmas, you know, with, uh, the calendar turning to 2019, uh, I, I'm getting pretty excited that baseball's starting again. Um, so yeah, it's 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 sooner, it's coming sooner than I think we we realize, and I'm very happy about that. Josh, nice lead in. 
the Jays are doing a little baseball-ish thing in a couple of weeks. They're doing their winter fest event. And it was very interesting. They updated the list of pitchers that are coming and now not included are Aaron Sanchez, Ryan Tapera, and Ken Giles, all people who are maybe trade candidates. <laughs> <laughs> so Twitter had a little fun with that. Uh, I obviously, I think it's just because they can't make it. <laughs> you know, they don't feel like coming up to Toronto in the middle of January, but it was just kind of funny. Um, it's a fun event though. And um, it, it's nice that the Jays are finally doing something like this. But, you know, they did one last year and it went really well. So I'm glad that they're trying to do something for the fans in the off season so that they can have this getting into baseball mode sooner. Like you just mentioned, Nick. Indeed, I do not have any special final thought. I think I was more Hall of Fame obsessed than the two of you, uh, as I usually am. Uh, follow at not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter. Um, Ryan Thibodeau, uh, he and his interns, as he terms them, track ballots in a whole bunch of interesting ways. And you can actually see how someone's doing um, last year versus this year if you follow his Twitter account, which is, uh, is always helpful to know where someone's really at. That said, uh, you have been Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka and... Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 126 and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks <laughs>